from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, August 4th. A lot of sound to dig into from Pete Carroll. Seahawks training camp underway and no positive COVID test results so far for the Seahawks. That's the great news. Also, only one player choosing to opt out of the 2020 season as of yet. But we'll hear Pete Carroll's thoughts on creating a bubble-like environment more of a mentality than a physical situation, Pete Carroll says. So we'll hear from him on getting used to the new protocols, what practices will look like, what games could possibly look like. We'll also hear from Pete Carroll on Antonio Brown. He says the Seahawks are monitoring that situation. What about Josh Gordon and his reinstatement? We'll dig into that as well as some status updates on Will Disley and Rashad Penny. All ahead in this hour. Also, the Mariners falling 11-1 to to the Athletics yesterday in the final game of that series. They've uh, had the trouble with a couple of big innings this year. And yesterday, a huge one, an eight-run inning uh, that ended up spelling their downfall. But they'll get back after it today against the Angels. All ahead in this hour right now. Let's get to your headlines. Pete Carroll on having no players test positive for COVID-19 yet. Well, we're really pleased with the the start. Uh, Really absolutely pleased that we did everything we could have done in the quarantine week. And and, uh, um, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, But, you know, it was trying to win the week, really. And and so we competed our way through it. And I I feel like we did that. Um, As far as moving forward, what's happening right now, um, you know, Greg, is we're trying to get everything in motion so that we can operate at a really high level of taking care of our guys. Pete Carroll crediting the leaders on this team for setting an example. I'm optimistic that we're doing everything we can, and I love the leadership on this team continuing to send the message to the guys because I really feel like more than ever, the leadership of your in your locker room is going to be more meaningful and, and more instrumental in our success. I mean, it's always crucially important, but now shoot more than ever. Um, you know, we, we, in essence, we don't bubble like the NBA did or like the NHL did uh, in, in the same fashion. But don't think for a second that we aren't in a bubble. We are. And, and that bubble is the conscience that we can hold. Uh, you know, always protect the team. Rule number one is, is in effect. It's crucial we do a great job with this. Pete Carroll also on having a whole new level of accountability for players dealing with all of these health and safety protocols. As far as moving forward, what's happening right now, um, you know, Greg, is we're trying to get everything in motion so that we can operate at a really high level of taking care of our guys. We we don't want to leave any stone unturned of what it takes to make sure our guys are safe. They're, They're smart about what's going on. They're respectful of every aspect of the process. This this calls this is great. This this calls on a whole uh, mentality um, that needs to take a step forward in terms of accountability and responsibility and, and respect for one another. Um, I mean, to the to the fullest extent. So, as far as projecting and what that's going to mean, I don't know. But we're going to try to kick ass in every aspect of this thing. Pete Carroll also admitting too that they're just starting the process of finding out where the team is at physically. 
as are many teams across the league right now. Only one Seahawks player, though, has officially opted out of the 2020 season due to COVID-19 concerns. That would be guard Chance Warmack. Seattle signed him as a free agent uh, this, sp- this spring, and he'll sit out this season. Pete Carroll on whether he has had opt-out discussions with players, though. Our coaches, have, we, we spent the first two days that we were here talking to our players just about their own situation, giving them an opportunity to, you know, ask their questions and to share what's going on in their world and their, their view with our coaches, hopefully, you know, doing a nice job. Um, we wanted it on a more intimate situation when guys were talking about that stuff, so that's how we broke it down. I haven't heard. There has been some you know, some guys asking questions specifically about it and all of that, and uh, we've tried to answer the questions and, and you know make come to a clear understanding. I, I mean, I, I support whatever guys got to do. I'm, I'm, I'm in support of them. So, so far, I don't have any information about that more than that. Head coach Pete on how the bubble environment, especially with the NFL, is more of a mentality than a physical location. We are seeing other sports like the NBA and the NHL use that bubble environment. But without that luxury in the NFL, uh, the bubble mentality will be something. That will be a thing, according to Pete. The, the bubble is really much less physical than, and it's much more mental, really, in, in that, that respect. I think it was John Mitchell's, Johnny Mitchell's, the tight end at the Jets, that said one time, they asked him, is the game more physical or more mental? He says, well, the mental part is much more physical. Um, so I'm kind of at that point right now in, in this, this press conference that, uh, <laughs> that it, it, it's the, the commitment that our guys make that creates the bubble. It's, it's, the, it's the discipline that it calls for that creates the bubble. It's the support from the people on our outside and our ability to communicate to our families and, 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 and the guests that don't get to come see us and, and the people that we don't get to hang out with and the, the changes we have to make in our lifestyle to, to, to maintain the integrity of the bubble that we're talking about. Pete Carroll also on patience being a theme, certainly this offseason, having to do things remotely, do things virtually, but uh, proud of how his team came through with that. As for uh, how practices will change with no preseason. It's important that we have, we have to catch up physically, you know, with the things that, that you could get accomplished in the four games. And not all the, the players, some of the young players played a lot in all four of those games, but the starters did not. And so we would ramp up their play and try to get them by, you know, where they would, could play three quarters of a game before they would take the fourth game and basically take that game and, and let the young guys play. Um, we have to make that time up and that, that, uh, uh, the physical part of the game come to life here on the practice field. Uh, we will have a couple events in the stadium. We're going to have a couple game-like events uh, on the 22nd and the 26th of, of the month um, to, to really play it all out and, and get get us in the mode. We, we'll be playing with uh, more opportunities for physical stuff to be done here rather than in the games, and uh, we'll have to take play, uh, take care of all that. And those should be streamed or should be uh, televised in some manner so that fans can be still a part of them while social distancing at home. Pete Carroll did talk about the game day experience. And, of course, we know CenturyLink gives a unique advantage, a home field advantage. Pete Carroll hoping the NFL is going to let them uh, pump in enough crowd noise to make it as loud as it usually is. Yeah, I think I think the cutouts, uh, they have their place. Uh, green screens, uh, good um, stuff animals if whatever it takes to fill up those seats you know we'll put out there um and then then crank up the sound i mean you know our we have the loudest stadium anywhere that when somebody documented that a couple years back so i'm hoping that uh, the league will allow us to be as loud and, and uh, we'll just make it just like it always is 
Pete Carroll also saying he told the 12s that they'll have to get creative without fans in the stadium. And uh, maybe everyone just steps outside and yells outside their house, according to Pete. Um, Also, some uh, info on the reports of Antonio Brown interest. Pete Carroll's response to those. What I'd say is just what we always say, because it's it's what we always do and who we are. John is competing at every turn. And, and there's never been a process, unless we just missed it, that we, we weren't involved with to understand what the chances were helping our club. And uh, he's all over it. He knows what's going on right now and, and, and as much as you can. And um, it, it remains that, you know, uh, it's, it's a very complex situation. And um, we just need to see where, where it fits somewhere down the road. Not, you know, and that's, that's all I got for you. As for wide receiver Josh Gordon, Pete Carroll on his situation as well. Once again, it's not in our hands. Uh, Josh did a really good job with us last year. Um, he fit in really well. He he was part of this team, and, and um, by the way we opened and embraced, you know, his coming to us, but also by the way he attacked it. So um, we are very open to that thought, and uh, um, we'll see what happens. I, I I don't know. I can't tell you what's going to happen on that. As for Quinton Dunbar and his status, he was placed on the commissioner's exempt list, but plans to appeal that status. Pete Carroll on Dunbar's status. Okay, well, we, I don't have any updates for you on, on Quinton's situation right now. Um, it's really in the, it's out, out of our hands, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, coming up on the Blitz, we'll dig into more sound from Pete, including we've got some updates on Will Disley and Rashad Penny. Uh, plus the secondary and how things will be structured this year or just some hints at uh, what that linebacker room could look like or that secondary. Plus the brand new Seahawk, Jamal Adams, Pete Carroll on who he credits for that deal coming down and how he sees him fitting in here in Seattle. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is the Blitz. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, August 4th. We've been listening to Pete Carroll for the early part of this hour. We've still got more sound from the Seahawks head coach addressing the media for the first time. Seahawks training camp underway. And we talked about off the top of the hour, no positive test for the Seahawks, which is a really good news. Uh, but they are still adjusting to working through all those health and safety protocols as of now. And only one Seahawks player right now opting out of the 2020 season because of COVID concerns, and that would be uh, guard Chance Warmack. Pete Carroll also yesterday with some thoughts on brand new Seahawk Jamal Adams and commending John Schneider for his work in that trade. Such an extraordinary deal that John figured out and his guys. Um, to not give him credit for this is, is to totally not understand what happened. This thing started months ago. And uh, when, when there was no time that you would think that this could ever be where this guy would be on our club and playing here at the VMAC, um, John had a, had, a, had a thought that it could happen. And he stayed with it and he processed it. He worked at the highest levels of the communication of it to, to, to get it worked out. Um, the, the background work that we did to answer your question and to, I'm excited. to, to understand I'm the player was it was it worth uh, what we did to, to go get him? Um, would he fit into the club? Would he match up in our locker room? You know, could he get along with his coach? You know, could he support his head coach? Uh, there was there was all kinds of things we needed to figure out. Pete Carroll on Jamal Adams' style and how that fits here in Seattle. One of the things that the, the style of his play uh, is that he's really aggressive. Um, he's an attack-oriented guy. 
he's a guy that the kind of guys that I've seen in, in years past that when they see things they don't hesitate they go and and they're very very decisive and very physical and creative as well it takes creativity to to see the opportunities and then to seize those opportunities and he's got all of that uh, great burst physical uh, nature and, and then also the athleticism to make the plays happen he's really good in coverage one-on-ones he's good in zone stuff um, so it just all fits Pete Carroll also spoke about how Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs, they can highlight each other's skill sets, each other's strengths, much like a dynamic duo did here in the past. You know, we, we had a very dynamic duo in, in years past, you know, when, when uh, Cam and Earl were here. Those guys were entirely different players. I mean, they, were, they couldn't have been further. I mean, one guy was huge, the other guy's a smaller guy. Um, just a huge difference in their in the talent that they brought, but yet we incorporated their stuff to hopefully we tried to it was a, the illustration of our approach to, to highlight the, the uniqueness of the players, and so uh, that's what's going to happen here with with Jamal and and uh, and, and really uh, Quandre Diggs is a really dynamic player too. He he showed that last year with with us, and and as we already pointed out, Marquise has a has a whole structure to, to his game that that we love to fit in. So this is really all we could hope for, and uh, and you know you'll see it come to life. Pete Carroll also doesn't like the criticisms that he's heard of Adam's character just because he has a fiery personality and says, again, that fits well here in Seattle. One of the things you know you can look at, you can see him be all fiery and, and, and interpret that like um, like he's being selfish or like he's being you know overly outgoing or whatever. Come on. You know, this guy loves what he does, and he cares so much that the passion just explodes out of him at times, which is exactly what you've seen in players that we've had in our program for years. So to have a chance to add that to our team, forget all the playmaking stuff. It's that element of mentality that I'd love to add so that Bobby gets to play with a guy like that, and then and Jay Reed gets to play with a guy like that, and Bruce, and they'll all feed off of each other because we all love to be that way. That's the way we love about this game is cutting it loose and, and letting it go and, and, and getting to that primal mentality that, that it, it, this game allows. And- Pete Carroll also with some comparison between a famous safety uh, that he knows well. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Um, they're they're Stature is much different. Troy was a really unusual body um, for the kind of athlete and the kind of player that he was and the extraordinary explosive speed and, and all that he played with. Um, there's some real similarities. And, and forget the stature part of it, the way they look. The, it's the nature that they play with that's similar. And that nature is one that uh, they play with such an amazing confidence that when they see things, they go get things. And, and, and with their savvy that they have that makes them so extraordinarily different than other players is that they can see things before they happen almost because they just have a, a knack about them. And they can take advantage of And because of their confidence, they take advantage of it. Be Troy Palomalu, who played at USC from 1999 uh, to the early 2000s. Pete Carroll saying and making a comparison between uh, Jamal Adams and Troy and saying you can't limit the freedom of guys like that. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Um, they're, they're... That's the same cut, but you, you get the point. Also, Pete Carroll with some updates on some important players to the squad, Will Disley being one of them. Some good news for Billy Bozeman, for Uncle Will. He passed his physical. He spent nine months working out on, on a rig- you know, real rigid schedule. He didn't miss one minute of one day in nine straight months. They said they'd never seen anybody do that before, and uh, the benefits of it is that, that he comes in and passes his physical. So uh, we're, we're thrilled about about. Will's process. 
but then again, because of the way he's been, I'm not surprised that somebody would say that he's he's been the hardest worker and the most diligent, uh, grittiest guy that they've ever seen come through the program. So um, that means that um, uh, we'll still take care of Will as we start camp, but yet he, he did pass his physical. Uh, we'll look after him um, and make sure that we don't come along too fast. Head coach with an update as well on running back Rashad Penny. He's coming in on Thursday. We didn't think we needed to rush him in because he's still, um, you know, rehabbing and coming back. Uh, he'll come in Thursday for Friday, and he'll start his process of, of reconnecting with us on Friday. Just We just thought it would be better. He missed a week in transition uh, that we didn't want to because he would have had to sit around the days right here, right now. We'd like to go ahead and... and uh, uh, hopefully we made a good decision there. Um, we're anxious to get him back. He's working out really hard. The reports are really strong that he's doing well. Uh, but we have not had him in our building for a while now, so this will be our first chance. Pete Carroll also a couple thoughts on the defense and admitting that they have to figure out how to best utilize now second-year safety Marquise Blair. For the most part, we have to figure out Marquise. Uh, he's, he's the one that's going to get the opportunity to get in on the slot and do some stuff that, that – uh, puts him in a position to be really active and and, and uh, be part of the, the pressure packaging and some real aggressive part of the play. Pete Carroll also on brand new draft pick linebacker Jordan Brooks. He says he can play anywhere. Well, I think I think the spot that, that makes sense to us at this point, he, he could play either outside, he could play all three spots at linebacker. He, he, he's physically capable, and I've seen enough film of him. I mean, there's a lot of film of him playing all different spots. Um, so I, I know in his background, any college guy that came to us, you know, you would love to see what we've seen in him. He started for four years, and he's had thousands of snaps. So uh, the flexibility is there. I think his, his clearest path would be, and might, the most obvious path would be at the Will Backer spot. Um, we'll see how that goes. Um, we'll start him there and then see how fast he can grasp it and how soon he can become comfortable, and, and, uh, and we'll see. And finally, Pete Carroll saying that they have tremendous flexibility at that linebacker spot, uh, and the competition will tell them how best to utilize everyone. You know, we have tremendous flexibility in our guys. Our guys have been been here for a long time in our program with Bruce coming back and, and KJ and Bobby. It's a fantastic group of guys. Um, we've got we've got a, a lot of options in, in, in plan here to, to, to weigh out, but we got to see how it goes. And that's why this goes back to competition, and we'll see how it all plays itself out. Um, KJ's been a fantastic player. Might have had his best year for us last year. Bobby's at the top of his game, and uh, we're thrilled to have Bruce back. But that doesn't mean, you know, that that all those guys don't play at the same time, you know. And, and all four of those guys are on the field at the same time. There's options for how we can do that that we've worked out, and um, the competition will settle it. I'm not concerned about it at all. The competition will will tell us what what uh, you know what we need to do here, and because the options are all there for us. Coming up on the Blitz, our own Michael Bumpus. He had some thoughts on the Pac-12 player demands that were issued this Sunday. Uh, what does the former Coug think about those? It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Liddy Cruz hanging out with you this morning, Tuesday, August 4th bright and early. The Pac-12 players released a article in the Players' Tribune with the hashtag United We Stand on Sunday. We had lots of discussion about it yesterday, but also Michael Bumpus, former Coug, with some thoughts, uh, along with Dave Wyman and Jim Moore yesterday in the afternoon discussing the Pac-12 player demands, what they made of it. 
Hey, it's Bob David Moore. we got Michael Bumpus filling in for Bob today. And, uh, guys, yesterday a group of Pac-12 football players wrote a letter threatening to opt out of fall camp and games unless the league, the Pac-12, meets their demands on COVID-related uh, safety protocols and some economic and social issues. And so, and a lot of those things are, are all over the place as far as um, a lot of different things, uh, medical insurance, for six years after the college career is one of the things on the list uh, of their demands. Uh, no waivers for signing COVID, you know, uh, and saying that you won't come back if you do contract COVID-19. And then and then 2% to low-income families. And I don't know if that's, it said black families or all families. Um, so that, you know, I, and so Nick Rolovich got himself kind of in trouble. So, you know, later in the day, um, he he called Washington State uh, wide receiver Cassidy Woods and, you know, basically told him, hey, if you're opting out for the the medical part of it, the COVID-19 stuff, that's that's one thing. And, and then um, but if you're joining this other group uh, with all the demands, I'm paraphrasing here, uh, basically, that's different. So. And, you know, I think he's the only coach that has done that. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting situation. I guess I'm not surprised that this came up because there are some real concerns. But just trying to, you know, sort of rifle through this whole thing. John Wilner wrote uh, an article at, uh, on, at Seattle Times. And, um, you know, basically he had the players broken down t- into three groups. They're... There are ones that are expressing solidarity on social media. Then there's ones that some are opting out because of the COVID concerns. Like I believe Cassidy Woods has uh, sickle cell anemia uh, diagnosis, so that was his reason. But then there are also players that are just opting out if their demands aren't aren't met. So it's uh, it's it's kind of an interesting thing. But I feel like Rolovich kind of. It seems like this is a bad look for him and a bad start at Wazoo. What do you two Cougars think? Yeah, it, it's a bad look on the surface until you dig a little deeper. And it, we, it's it's hard to dig deeper right now because we haven't really heard from WSU. We haven't heard from, from Nick Rolovich. And so on the surface, it looks like, oh, okay, well, you can, you can opt out for COVID-19 and we'll keep your scholarship. But if you're... In the hashtag we are united, uh, the racial injustice part of it, then that's a different story. Then it makes him look racist almost. So I, I don't think right. that's the case. Although, boy, he's had a lot of backlash. A lot of people talking about Nick Rolovich. Bomani Jones came out. He had some harsh words of criticism for him. I, I think, uh, Paul Feinbaum did too, but, uh, we'll see if that gets sorted out. I'm not just defending him because he's a coog and, you know, he's, he's at my alma mater or anything. I, I think there's more to that story that hasn't come out just yet. Yeah. The, me- the crazy part is the kid like secretly recorded the message or uh, the conversation, right? Yeah. And, um, here's the reality about college football. They can take your scholarship whenever they want to. It's a year-by-year contract. It's not a four-year deal. You're not guaranteed to finish up there. I've seen guys have their scholarships taken away. And when I hear this, this is what I think. I think Rolovich is thinking, okay, look, if it has to do with your health, then I get it. But if not, I have to bring somebody else in to fill your spot because if we play, I still need players out on the field. That's why. That's where I think he was going with that. But because um, he hasn't said anything, um, the university hasn't said anything. Now we're allowed to speculate. It makes him sound like he's racist. Oh, I don't support the movement. I don't think Rolo doesn't support the movement. Everything that I've learned from him, or I've met him a few times and seen the way he operates, 
I think he's all for that. I think that at the end of the day, he has a job. He's got to win football games. And if a player opts out because demands aren't met through the umbrella of the NCAA, then he has to find somebody else to take that job. Is that the right thing to do? It all depends on what side of the fence you're on. You could be like, oh, poor kid, you know, let him go through this and work it out and, and hold his scholarship. Or you can say, you know what, get him out there. He doesn't want to play. Um, it's a tough situation for everyone involved. Because if you are with the movement and you want to sit down and you have these demands and you do this and change actually happens, then someone has to make the sacrifices for that change. Is it going to be the player? Is it going to be the coach? So it's just a tricky situation all around. I don't think Rolo is racist. I don't think he's uh, against all that stuff. I think that he has a job, and his job is to win ball games. And if that kid isn't there, then I've seen guys get their scholarships pulled all the time. Michael Bumpus with unique perspective on that yesterday, and you can listen to Michael Bumpus's full appearance on Bob Dave and more. Just go to Seven Ten Sports, click on the podcast tab, and it is there for you. Also, yesterday in the afternoon, the guys chatting with Ryan Divish. Uh, this was ahead of the game, the Mariners game yesterday, and kind of a thumping for the Mariners, eleven to one by the Athletics, and unfortunately, Kyle Lewis, his hitting streak broken there, but. Something positive that Ryan Divish has noticed for Kyle this season. On the phone, we got Ryan Divish from the Seattle Times. Divish, did you have a good time at the ballpark this weekend? That wasn't too bad. I mean, it's a little different, but it's not too bad. You know, you're going there. It's it's a little bit better than covering them off TV, I would think. You know, um, though there are benefits to covering them off TV, but it's just not the same. I don't mind going there at all. Yeah, because you can lay around in your underwear is the benefit of watching it on TV. Hey, uh, how excited are you about Kyle Lewis? 17 hits, leads the league, and read today the Mariners put out something. He's hit safely in each of his first 10 games. He's, it's not been done since 2007 by a rookie and uh, joins Joey Cora, Andy Chavez, uh, D. Gordon. Uh, are, are you officially excited or are you still waiting on Kyle Lewis? Oh, I'm excited. I think I think the biggest thing for me being excited for Kyle is just that he's healthy. I mean, he's healthy enough now that they're out um, having him play center field on an almost daily basis. And that's partially because, you know, even a banged up or even Kyle Lewis, you know, and all the any issues he's had in the past is still probably a better center fielder than Alex Smith. Um, you know, I don't know if that's his position going forward, but he's handled it really well. But yeah, I think that's just the biggest thing is that he's healthy. He doesn't look like he's worried about his knee or anything like that. You know, it's been basically, you know, he played all of last year and made it through without any issues. And he comes into this year fully healthy. You can kind of see the speed come back and all those things. So I think that's the biggest thing. And then maybe the other aspect that I think I've been most impressed with is just kind of his approach um, at the plate, particularly with two strikes. There was always kind of this concern that with his power and his ability to hit the ball the opposite field, he'd be a 30 home run type of guy but that he'd also strike out 175 times a season. I, I think he's gotten better at understanding what pitches he can hit and, and having a better approach with two strikes and just kind of staying with what pitchers are giving him and, and not trying to do too much with everything, especially with two strikes. And I think that's been the most impressive of that is his strikeout numbers aren't the same as they normally have been, and his walk numbers are up as well. Okay, Ryan, this is probably crazy because Taiwan Walker went seven innings – gave up one hit, eight strikeouts, 94 pitches. He was fantastic. And yet I thought I thought Kikuchi was even better Saturday night. He looked like an ace. He was throwing 97. I mean, he just had hitters tied up all night long, nine strikeouts, gave up three hits. I just thought he looked great. 
Yeah, no, I, I did too. You know, he was throwing his kind of slider cutter thing at 91 miles an hour. He was aggressive. He worked fast, which, you know, sometimes when last year when he'd get runners on, he'd turn into Miguel Batista and just stand there and stare blankly ahead and take forever. And just, I wanted to throw my laptop out of the press box right at him for telling him to throw the ball. But uh, no, he had good rhythm, good pace. I think the biggest thing is like, you know, he had a bad kind of, he didn't have a great outing against the Astros. I mean, he was throwing hard and everything, uh, but it wasn't great. He didn't have great command. I think he had four or five walks. But the big the big thing was, is he didn't change anything. You know, the 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 stuff he worked on this offseason at driveline and, and Kent and along with the Mariners pitching staff coaches is to simplify everything. And last year, he would have a bad outing like the one in Houston and then go and mess with his mechanics, change things up, try different things. Whereas this year, I think he just realizes this is what I should do. This is where I'm going to get the most best results. So I'm going to stay with these mechanics. And I thought that was the best aspect of it. But yeah, I thought he looked. He, I thought he looked great. He was aggressive. He didn't try and nibble. Last year, he was really afraid of how much power major league lineups had, and he was just kind of. I thought he pitched afraid a lot last year. He didn't do that this year. Ryan Divish on Bob Dave and more yesterday. Coming up on the Blitz, the deadline for NFL players to opt out. Well, it has been set. For this week on Thursday, plus the Big 12 approving a scheduling model for the upcoming college football season. Which Power 5 conference will it most resemble next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle? From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for... The Hot List. Holy mackerel. The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes. What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go. Well, no way to sugarcoat it. The Athletics punished the Mariners 11-1 to on Monday night. Oakland scored eight times in the fifth inning with all the runs coming with two outs. Oakland sent 14 batters to the plate in the fifth inning, eventually left the bases loaded after Marcus Simeon flied out to end the inning. Simeon even made a pair of outs in that inning. Uh, Ramon Laureano's single knocked out Seattle starter Justice Sheffield, who'd been really impressive through the first four frames. Seattle actually gave him an opportunity to escape the bases loaded jam, but Laureano ended up slapping a single through the right side of the infield that scored Chris Davis and Steven Piscotti. Scott Service on wanting to give Top Chef a chance to face Laureano and give him the opportunity to work himself out. Laureano is tough on, on the lefties, but yeah, that's what we're trying to do, give these guys those opportunities to work through it. You know, we've talked about that with our starters. Um, some of the guys have been able to get through it, some haven't. Um, you know, and it's the only way to learn is you got to go through the experience of it, and, you know, he'll be better next time for it. That was the last batter for Sheffield, though, yesterday, who drops to 0-2 on the season. But Scott Service thinking that uh, that he uh, was really aggressive with his pitches. I thought Chef was really in control of the ball game. Uh, the first four innings, uh, had all of his stuff working, was really aggressive. Uh, good slider, a good changeup. Uh, it kind of all kind of changed a little bit. That, that long at bat that Chris Davis had, he eventually walked him. Uh, then the, the inning started to pile up. I thought he had a chance to get out of it there. Obviously, Loriano got us again today with the, the big hit to kind of put them in the lead. And then, you know, trying to, to end the inning there was kind of when the game got away from us. 
Justice also feeling like he made his pitches, but he has to give the defense more opportunities to get out. I feel like I made my pitches. Uh, like you said, I got my ground balls that I wanted. Um, just really didn't end up in the spots uh, where guys were able to make some plays. So, um, you know, just it was just tough. Uh, one of those things where, you know, they hit it where, where we weren't. So, After, after Chef exited the game, though, the A's really beat up on reliever Brian Shaw. He gave up five runs on four hits and a pair of walks. Shaw signed right before the start of the season after he was released by Colorado, but he's had a tough time in Seattle. In his past three appearances, Shaw has given up a combined 10 earned runs in two and a third's innings. Uh, Chris Davis hit his first home run of the season because, of course, just... You know, loves to hit those off of the Mariners. In the seventh inning on an 0-2 pitch from Zach Rhodes, uh, athletic starter Frankie Mont is also pretty impressive. Cruised through seven innings, giving up four hits and striking out nine. Seattle's only run came on Kyle Seeger's two-out double in the third inning. Pretty awesome to see uh, Kyle in full uh, midseason form right now. But uh, another two-out double in the third inning for Kyle. Another run scored for him. As for the other Kyle, the other half of the Kyle and Kyle hitting firm, as Blowers is now referring to it, which I love, uh, but Seattle rookie Kyle Lewis had his 10-game hitting streak snapped. He went 0-4 with a pair of strikeouts. He was the first rookie to hit safely in the first 10 games of a season since Delmon Young did it back in 2007. Up next for the M's, uh, right-hand pitcher Justin Dunn making his second start for Seattle and second against the Angels. He'll be on the mound tonight against the Halos. That game, 7-10, of course, you can listen to the pregame show right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers reached a deal with veteran tight end Jordan Reed on Monday afternoon. Reed and the Niners reached an agreement on a one-year deal, heavy on incentives. Um, and of course, Reed, with the consideration he has a lengthy injury history, in particular a lengthy concussion history. But he'll be reunited with coach Kyle Shanahan, who he worked with uh, at Washington. He was Washington's offensive coordinator from 2010 to 2010. 13. Reed missed all of last season with a concussion. That is his seventh documented since he started playing football, playing college football. Because of various injuries, he has never played a full NFL season. Miami Marlins CEO Derek Jeter says his players uh, got a little too comfortable. Blame the team's COVID-19 outbreak on a collective false sense of security that made the Marlins a little too complacent when it came to their health and safety protocols, so social distancing measures, and doing things like wearing masks. What it boiled down to on this particular trip was guys were around each other, they got relaxed, and they let their guard down. They were getting together in groups. They weren't wearing masks as much as they should have. They weren't social distancing. Everyone was getting tested. We went the whole spring training 2.0 without a positive. And the entire traveling party got a little too comfortable. Should they have been doing that? No. And that's been addressed. But there is no way to identify how this got into our clubhouse. But any activities on Tuesday night were not it. The entire traveling party is, is responsible for not following the protocols as is instructed. That includes coaches, staffs, and players. Everyone has seen the impact. They've seen their teammates get sick, and I know they all have a new level of appreciation. Hopefully, you know, this has been a wake-up call for everyone, not only on our team, but the rest of baseball and sports in general. 21 members of the traveling party tested positive, including at least 18 players. None is seriously ill, according to Jeter. He expects all to return this season uh, with more than half the team sidelined. Jeter said the Marlins still can be competitive when their season resumes. Um, but, yeah, tough, tough questions to answer. Also, 
Derek Jeter on if he thinks the MLB made a mistake with letting them play in that series against Philadelphia where the outbreak surfaced. Yeah, well, I think we're probably everyone's learning a little bit as we move along here. So I think hindsight's twenty twenty. You look back and say, oh, well, you know, we, we shouldn't have played. But it's important to point out the fact that, you know, you don't know where it came from. You don't know how quickly it spread. I mean, that's the reason why we are quarantined in the hotel for a week. We had to make sure that the guys moving forward were going to be negative. So, no, am I mad at the league for us playing? I'm not mad at the league for us playing. I I just wish we would have different results. Um, All the positive results, too, from the Cardinals camp and the delays that have happened in the Central Division as well. Tim Kirkchen, ESPN MLB insider on baseball's protocols, continuing to change. have to be enforced, though. The rules change every day now. Now we play seven-inning doubleheaders. We didn't have that a week ago, but we do now. So the protocol has changed as it should change because the only way to get through this pandemic is to make sure that everyone is protected at the, the highest level, and maybe these new protocols will do that. And I think the players, for the most part, have done a pretty good job staying healthy here, but I still see too many high-fives, too many hugs on a baseball field, and it's not their fault. It's so reflexive. You just do that because you've been doing it your whole life, but yes, we're going to have to put even stronger protocols in place in order to protect the players. Otherwise, we're going to have another breakout, and if we do, then again, we have some, some more serious questions to ask. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball's Field of Dream Games at Iowa, a lot of us have been looking forward to that. That has been postponed until 2021 because of COVID concerns. Uh, the game scheduled originally to take place August 13th in Dyersville, or not originally, I should say, but uh, now the second rendition scheduled to take place at August 13th in Dyersville at the newly constructed ballpark on the cornfield adjacent to the site of the 1989 classic film. The Chicago White Sox originally been set to host the New York Yankees. Then when MLB remade its schedule following the truncated season announcement, the St. Louis Cardinals became the opponent. Now MLB will keep the White Sox as one of the teams for the game next year. The other team has yet to be determined. The deadline for NFL players to opt out of the 2020 season will be this Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. Eastern, according to Adam Schefter. The NFL Players Association agreed to shorten the window between the finalizing of the agreement and the opt-out deadline, which was originally supposed to be seven days in exchange for some concessions on the final language. The league's COVID-19 protocols, officially an amendment to the new collective bargaining agreement that was agreed upon, signed back in March, uh, were agreed to by players and team owners July 24th, but it took until Monday night for both sides to finalize the formal language of the deal, and that was a lot of what the negotiation was about and why players were waiting to sign on the dotted line. Uh, the agreement, the original agreement, stipulated the opt-out deadline for players would be seven days after the attorneys finished work, but as the process dragged on, owners wanted that deadline to be set sooner than that, seeing a lot of players opt out, and Adam Schefter addressed that yesterday. We've seen close to 50 players opt out already, and it's been described to me by other people around the league that they are concerned that there will be more, that there will be a surge of activity here in the days leading up to the deadline. Some notable big-name players on that list that leave holes on teams. Then again, many of these teams have prepared and drafted players at those very positions. But when you hear the McCourty speak out, they are truly respected. They have a good pulse of the league. They understand how it works. They're bothered by it. But I think the NFL wants to move this up because essentially – The opt-out deadline was supposed to be a week after that 
side letter agreement between the NFL and the NFLPA was signed. It's taken him a little bit longer to get that signed than people expected. This was the time that people thought would be the opt-out deadline. So it's right where it's supposed to be. It just looks like the league is pushing it up a little bit. An interesting part of the language that they were negotiating over uh, that players ended up getting a little bit of a victory on was better protection for players in the discipline process for, quote-unquote, high-risk behavior away from the facility. So per the agreement, players can be disciplined for engaging in activity that could increase the risk of spreading COVID-19, such as attending a concert or other indoor gathering with more than 15 people. Discipline in those cases would be decided by an arbiter. The final agreement also includes a stipulation that front office employees and coaches can face discipline if they exhibit similar behavior. The Big 12 presidents and chancellors agreed and approved a scheduling model for the upcoming college football season. It will include nine conference games and one non-conference game. The start of conference play will be solidified in the coming weeks with an anticipated start sometime in mid to late September. The league still expects to play its non-conference games before the start of league play. The model gives the Big 12 the flexibility to move back the Big 12 uh, Dr. Pepper Championship game to December 12th or the 19th. Big 12 joined the ACC as the only leagues that kept one non-conference game. Big 12 did not publish its schedule on Tuesday, but with changes across all conferences, some big-name matchups like West Virginia, Florida State, Baylor Ole Miss, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Texas LSU have uh, been eliminated for this season. That is a common theme. We've seen a lot of these marquee matchups, unfortunately, go by the wayside because of that. That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at Six Hour. Plenty more discussion coming your way. And Danny Gallant next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.